0614-904-9034. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge. Was it the Cape Drive time? Welcome back to the show. 0829. 913913 is uh, the WhatsApp line, and uh, you can query, comment, stroke, and or criticize. Time now for this week's Middle East report in partnership with the London-based Middle East Monitor. We look at the following. U.S. defense not sanctioning MBS for Khashoggi murder. That's an interesting one. Denmark criticized for telling Syrian refugees to go home. Israeli vehicle carrier ship, a cargo ship, hit by an explosion in the Gulf of Oman? Question mark. We now chat to Usman Butt, video producer at Middle East Monitor. And of course, Middle East Monitor, you can get at www.middleeastmonitor.com, Twitter handle at Middle East MNT. Usman Butt, Assalamu Alaikum, and welcome to the show. Walaikum salam and good evening to all your listeners. Before we start tackling the subjects at hand, I do believe that a certain Memo staff member got censored by Facebook. Tell us more about that very quickly. Uh, I don't have the details in front of me, I'm afraid, um, so I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it. All right, not a problem. Let's go on to the U.S. Uh, um, defending its non-sanctioning of MBS for the Khashoggi murder. We saw the uh, CIA uh, docket being released. Um, Interestingly, three names taken off of it was first released. So there's lots of questions around it, despite the fact that we know that the U.S. is not going to sanction MBS. Yes, so for the benefit of everyone. So this is obviously in light of a report that was released last Friday, which was based on a joint intelligence briefing on the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, as your audience will remember, who was murdered in 2018 in Istanbul in, Istanbul in the Saudi consulate. Um, so the, it's, it was during the, obviously, Trump administration. Trump was very close to MBS. And so we saw very little in the way of sanctioning of MBS and so on, despite there being a lot of um, accusations and concerns raised in the U.S. Um, And everyone thought maybe Biden might do something. And early a few weeks ago, the U.S. State Department and um, and the U.S. Treasury sanctioned 76 Saudi nationals for their alleged involvement in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, but obviously MBS was not included. People thought after the release of this intelligence report, which was released last Friday, um, the U.S. would follow through but uh, and possibly do something about MBS, or at least um, some sort of action would be taken. Uh, but, of course, that hasn't happened. And what we've gotten from the U.S. and a spokesman for the Biden administration said that, well, we're working to put... U.S. and Saudi relations on the right footing and um, re- uh, recalibrating and we, we want to recalibrate relations with Saudi Arabia and we're worried that if we do anything it's going to rupture the entire relationship. Um, so anyone who had hoped that something might happen to MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, under a new Biden administration have already been disappointed. It's interesting because Biden did say some harsh things about uh, Saudi Arabia 
before he became president. He was not complimentary, and he must have sent uh, quite a few shockwaves uh, rippling through certain members of the royal family. Indeed, and I think the Saudis were indeed concerned with what a Biden presidency might look like. We can, for example, think a little bit about the fact that uh, within, I think it was the end of January or beginning of February, we had the so-called reconciliation between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And we've had a few other things, such as the release of, obviously, uh, certain Saudi activists from prison and so on. And this is clearly indicative of the fact that, in part, Saudi is con- was concerned about what the Biden administration might do. And, of course, we can also speculate that the normalization deals with Israel last year, which was not by Saudi, but by the UAE and others, was also possibly thinking about what might happen under a Biden presidency. So there was obviously a lot of concern in the Gulf. But so far, you know, the Biden hasn't said he's not going to take any action against NBS at this stage and that the relationship between Saudi and the U.S. looks like it's going to continue. Yeah, I mean, uh, almost business as usual. But, I mean, the other thing is that um, the United States is not as reliant on Saudi Arabia as it used to be in the past because the uh, United States has been getting a lot of oil from its own ground. So it's not mm-hmm. as reliable as it used to be on offshore oil supplies. Less uh, reliant on oil supplies, but it is also about finance as well. So fact is, for 40 to 50 years, Saudi Arabian, Saudi money has been flowing into American banks. And that's obviously very useful from the American economic perspective. Plus, whenever the Saudis do place in a big order in the United States, whether it's for weaponry or anything, that obviously stimulates drop growth in certain parts of the U.S. as well. So there are other ways as well which are important. But I think your broader point is correct that the U.S. is has this kind of colding relationship with Saudi Arabia. I mean, they've there is always, to some extent, been an unease about Saudi Arabia, especially as we go from the 1970s onwards. Uh, some of your listeners will remember the 1993 war and the oil strikes, uh, and there was visible anti-Saudi feeling back then. It became part of film and culture as well. Um, and I think there's always been this unease, but I see we get this sense that, especially in the last few years, especially because I think Trump really embraced the Saudis, there's this real strong disgust towards the Saudi leadership in American political circles, which possibly wasn't there prior before the Trump administration. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing about the CIA report um, was the fact that three names were originally mentioned and taken off the 21 list people list that the CIA released. Then three names were mysteriously removed. What do you make of that? It's hard to say. I know what to make of that. I mean, it's you, you, it could be just that they have misidentified these individuals or that for whatever reason they were taken off. But, yeah, it, it's a very interesting issue. But I should point out it's not a CIA report per se. It's a joint U.S. intelligence community report, which extracts some the CIA reports. So it's not actually the CIA who's releasing this stuff. So still uh, mysterious um you know, is that does the possibility not exist that those gentlemen whose names were removed could have struck some kind of a deal that there could have been inside informers and didn't have to be exposed? 
anything is possible. <laughs> Let's get back, uh, go to Denmark, uh, being criticised for telling yep. Syrian refugees to return home. Europe's still prickly about Middle Eastern refugees on its soil, it seems, not just Denmark. I think many other countries, but Denmark now in the crosshairs. Yes, and as you correctly point out, a lot of Europe is uneasy and always has been uneasy about the role of refugees coming into their society. Uh, Obviously, the current story is that they're planning to possibly send back 94 Syrian refugees um, who have come to the end of the residency permit. Uh, Denmark's playing this unusual game where it's saying to them, we're not actually deporting you yet. We're going to send you to, um, like... Not with refugee camps, but like um, waiting facilities or whatever they call them. Um, And they can return if they want to, but they're not obviously going to be allowed back into their lives in Europe. So they're going to be put into this weird limbo situation. And it's important for people to note that um, would they officially obviously claim Damascus is now safe enough for them to return? No one's quite sure what that assessment was based on. Um, But it's important to note that this seems to be part of um, a strategy because at the minute in Denmark you have a centre-left social democratic party um, and um, it seems that they are, but since the last few months and so on, they've talked about taking a um, zero-tolerance approach towards asylum seekers Um, And a lot of this is to do, it seems, with the far right and trying to win votes from the far right and thus taking a stronger anti-immigration stance. Um, But this move has been widely condemned. Yeah, it should be. Um, You know, what always flabbergasts me, and I'm not saying in South Africa we're a paragon of virtue in this because xenophobia is a big problem that we have here. It always flabbergasts me when governments are so insensitive to the reason why people become refugees. I mean, this always makes me scratch my head. Yes, yes, and it's it, the issue is, of course, that when it comes to obviously popular political rhetoric in these countries, it almost doesn't matter what forces them to be refugees. And there's this tendency within different countries in Europe, and the UK is very similar, uh, to blur the lines between different types of migrants. So. Sometimes they get subsumed and classed as part of economic migrants, which, of course, these refugees are not. Um, And other forms of immigration that seem to exist, it sort of blurs together. And it's never entirely clear, you know, who's making the decisions and why. And in this particular case, when you're sending people back, uh, you know, they are... They should be, by rights, being allowed to stay in Denmark. So it's a very puzzling decision. Um, but unfortunately, it's likely to be something we see other, in other European countries too. Yeah. I mean, Germany, for example, um, they talked about deport, uh, deporting people who had criminal records, and that picked up a fuss, uh, who were refugees as well. Um, but Denmark is going the furthest of any European country to date. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is. And, of course, another perplexing factor about this is that um, a number of these refugees are highly qualified people, and they're going into societies in Europe which have less than zero population growth. The populations are actually dropping. You've got people who are Mm -hmm. not prepared to do the kind of work that the refugees and migrants will do. So it it again Mm -hmm. becomes a rather 
Kafkaesque scenario. These countries need people, but they don't want people. Yeah, it's the contradiction at the heart of politics across much of Europe. The governments know that they need these skilled people, but they also know it's going to be deeply unpopular in the country, host populations uh, in their own countries. And so they sort of try to play this line between the two, but rather than taking a stronger principle to stand or trying to explain to publics why these people are actually potentially beneficial as well, they just go with the let's uh, send a lot of them back line. Yeah, and just uh, basically compounds the suffering. Another interesting Mm. story is an Israel um, cargo ship a container yep. ship hit by an explosion in the Gulf of Oman. Some stories seem to indicate that this was deliberate, some are just vague, and some almost say that something was fired at the ship. What do you make of it? It's hard to know what to make of it. So this particular ship, which was a Bahamas flagged ship called MV Helios Ray, was hit by some sort of explosion in the Gulf of Oman. Uh, this was a few days ago. And UK And it's currently, or it was, docked in Dubai for investigations. But over the weekend, uh, so it happened on Friday, uh, over the weekend, though, people like Benjamin Netanyahu came out and said this was clearly an attack by Iran. Um, and Iran currently denies any involvement. Uh, we don't have much information, though, on the actual condition of the boat, as far as I can tell, at least it hasn't been released publicly. Um, so it's hard to actually assess whether there was an attack or not. Uh, there's been a lot of suggestion, though, if Iran was behind it, which, of course, they deny, um, then it might have been part of a revenge effort. Um, if you re- recall from last November, an important Iranian nuclear scientist was killed, which was widely attributed to Israel, and this could be the response from Iran. Um, but it's obviously it's hard to say right now. But what we do know as well is that Around a a day or two after this strike, uh, Israel carried out strikes on Damascus, uh, which the Israeli media say was in response to this attack. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Um, When when you see uh, ships flagged in the Bahamas or Panama, uh, a lot of them dock here, used to dock here in Cape Town uh, in the old Mm -hmm. days, and all of them were rust buckets. Um, if they were motor cars, they would have been condemned uh, 10 years ago. Um, and these <laughs> ships sort of <laughs> do their, their sort of thing on the ocean. So I, I'm, I'm asking this, this question sort of rhetorically. Was MV Helios Ray a 50-year-old rust bucket? <laughs> and uh, somebody did it for the insurance. Um, in fact, somebody did sink a ship here in Table Bay outside Cape Town about uh, 10 years ago, a coal ship. They sank it to get the insurance because it was a, a bucket of rust. So who knows? Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the world of international transport is a really murky one at best. No, absolutely. So looking at all the, 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 the stories that we've been dealing with this, this week so far, uh, would you rate uh, the MBS Khashoggi thing probably the biggest story that everybody's been focusing on? In terms of uh, global media, certainly it's MBS. Um, and then it would probably be Denmark. And then I think this Israel story, it's odd because it's kind of in the news, but it's kind of not. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's a really weird one, sort of on the surface. 
No, it it really is. You know, when I saw the story, my my first take was, okay, um, is this real? Is this not real? Uh, and of course, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, whether it was an accident or not, would he will always blame Iran if he gets the opportunity. That's just the way things will roll in Tel Aviv at the moment. Mm, yes. Usman Bhatt, who is a video producer at Middle East Monitor, our guest for this week's edition of the Middle East Report, every Thursday in partnership with the London-based Middle East Monitor. The website, www.middleeastmonitor.com, and the stories we've discussed and thousands more you will be able to find on their website. At Middle East MNT is their Twitter handle, very active in social media as well. Usman Bhatt, uh, thanks for joining us.